They're headed to Children's Church. There it is. Out that way. And as Zoe said, we've got a, a nursery over there and a cry room uh, in the back this morning. We're glad that you're here. And so we're going to watch um, at least the very beginning of that one more time. Um, and, then, and then we'll start. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark, begging for scraps. The way I see it, you and I are exactly the same. We both want to find a way out. All right. So that is the beginning of Lion King. And that's the beginning of the new one. Now, it's, that's, uh, I think as Cullen may have said, that's after, of course, the circle of life opening scene. So you've got that kind of opening song, right, and that scene that happens there. Uh, but then that is the first scene of the movie. And I was struck in watching this newer version of the movie by the fact that the first character to talk in the movie is Scar, uh, I hadn't really noticed that in the older version, um, and I, I don't know why, but it struck me watching it, I think maybe because I was an adult watching, you know, this new version for the first time, that the first voice that we hear after that circle of life kind of song uh, isn't Mufasa or Simba or, or you know, one of those uh, good characters, it's Scar. And the first thing he says is, life's not fair. And, and the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, really, the, the whole narrative of the Lion King is built around Scar's belief that life isn't fair. The, 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 almost the entire plot of the rest of the movie centers around this idea that Scar doesn't think life is fair. And as I watched this, this short little clip several times this week, I became really struck by the fact that Scar even says in that clip to this mouse, you and me really aren't that different. I bet the mouse would disagree. <laughs> no, we're pretty different. <laughs> there's, there's a wide gulf between you and me, but Scar has this idea, right, that life isn't fair. And so because of that, he says, looks at this mouse, he says, you and I just aren't that different because life isn't fair. Uh, now, I recognize that's just a movie, but, but we see this in real life. We even see it with real-life animals. Uh, so this is uh, a man named Franz de Waal. I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, and Franz uh, has made a, a living out of studying real animals. Uh, he is the director of the Living Links Center in, uh, near Atlanta. He's a professor at Emory University in Atlanta. He's written several books, including uh, his most recent one, which is called Mama's Last Hug, Animal Emotions and What They Tell Us About Ourselves. And so he's devoted most, most of his professional life to, to this kind of studying of animals to learn about what we can learn from the emotions in animals for, for kind of how we are wired and operate and relate to one another. And so throughout his professional life, he's always had a colony of uh, capuchin monkeys. And he said, I began to notice something within the monkeys that anytime we, we gave any of the monkeys anything, they would always be very attentive to what the others around them were getting. Um, and and they, were very, they, they were very aware 
of what others were getting, and am I getting less than what the other people, or excuse me, what the other monkeys uh, in my colony are, are getting? And so this was several years ago where he said, I, w- I want to test that out. So some of you may have heard of this study where they, they, put, they, they took two monkeys from the colony, put them in separate cages side by side, and they would have them perform very simple tasks. And if they performed the task, they would get a slice of cucumber. Uh, and regardless of which monkeys they brought in to do this, all the monkeys were, were perfectly fine performing this simple task and getting a slice of cucumber in return, and they would do it time and time and time again and, and never seemingly get you know, frustrated with it until they gave one of the monkeys a grape. And once you give this monkey a grape for performing the task, this monkey over here begins to have this idea, right, that life's not fair. Uh, we'll come back to the monkeys at the end. Um, but we're going we're gonna to begin our series today. We're starting a new series today about gratitude, and we're going to begin in Matthew 20. And so if you want to turn to Matthew 20, uh, Jesus tell, tells a parable in Matthew 20 where I think we see some people who, who espouse to this same idea that life isn't fair. And I think this story has something to teach us about that. So Matthew 20, uh, Scott, if you can turn the house lights all the way up for us. Um, <laughs> can you see now? Uh, Matthew 20 is where we're going to be. And so this, the idea of this series, the, the idea of overflow, comes from this idea uh, that, that Paul mentions a couple of times, that as Christians, we should be those who are overflowing with thankfulness. It should just be overflowing out of who we are um, and, and the ways that we relate to, to God and to the world around us. And so we're going to look at some stories kind of related to that. Uh, and so this is Matthew 20. Then we're going to start with this parable today. We're going to begin in verse 1 uh, and read down through verse 16. And listen for this idea um, of how some of these workers have this idea that life isn't fair and, and how that um, impacts the way that they see the world around them. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you Whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, 
I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Uh, I think we find some fascinating things at work in this parable. Uh, one is that I think we, 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 if, if we're honest with ourselves, many of our disappointments and frustrations in life have to do with unmet expectations, right? <clears throat> that I have an expectation about how this situation is going to go, about how this relationship is, is going to go, about what this movie is going to be, whatever it is, right? We've got these, un, these expectations. And many of our frustrations and, and disappointments come from unmet expectations, uh, and so somewhere along the line, there's, there's probably room for us to step back and say and, and evaluate our expectations of things, right? Uh, and that seems to be a problem for the, the first workers in this story, that they expect that they're going to get more, even though this is exactly what they have agreed to. Uh, and obviously, it's a story to tell a point. Uh, and so Jesus tells it, obviously, in a certain way, because there's an easy way to avoid everything that happens in this parable, at least all the grumbling. And that is that you simply pay the workers who came first, first, right? Then they probably end up thinking, hey, we got our money first, we're good. They get a denarius, they leave. They never know that the people who came later in the day got the same thing. Everybody's happy. Um, but that's not the point of the story. <laughs> the point of the story is this idea of fairness that we have built into us. And I think what we see um, in, in the example of the Lion King um, in the example of, of the monkeys, uh, and in the example of this story, is that we, all, we often use an appeal to fairness as sort of a guise for jealousy and envy. That, that oftentimes when we say something like, life's not fair, or this just isn't fair, what we're really saying is, I, I want something that someone else has and I don't. Or I feel like I'm being treated unfairly because I'm getting something I, I don't deserve uh, or I'm not getting something that I, I do deserve. And so it's kind of this disguise that, that, that we build into these, these feelings of envy and jealousy that we have. And I think you can see that in the story. If you look towards the end of the story, it says the landowner says to them, uh, I am not being unfair to you friend. And then he makes the point, right? You, this is what you agreed to work for. I'm giving you what we agreed to. Uh, you know, you didn't think it was unfair in the morning. Uh, I'm not being unfair to you. Are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? Uh, I think part of what Jesus wants us to see in this story is that if you look at it from a different perspective, this is really a story about a generous landowner, uh, a generous landowner who's willing to provide work for people in his community who need it, a generous landowner who is, is willing to, to provide for people who have been unable to find other work in their, in their kind of marketplace in town for the day. Uh, from a different perspective, it's a story about generosity. But the first workers from that morning don't see it as a story about generosity. They see it as uh, an example of their being treated unfairly. Uh, and not unfairly because the, the landowner has cheated them out of something that they have worked for or deserved. But they see it as unfairness because they feel like someone else is getting the same thing they did 
and worked a lot less for it. It's this idea that when compared to someone else, I'm not getting what I should. Um, we, we have this tendency within us as people to compare ourselves to others, to make comparisons to other people. And we tend to compare ourselves up, right? We tend to compare ourselves to people who have more or to people who have something that we think we should have or that we are entitled to. Um, it's why, as Americans, uh, you know, if, if you're making $50,000 in America, you probably wouldn't consider yourself to be very rich, even though on a worldwide scale, you'd be in the top 1% of, of the worldwide earners. But if you're making that in, in America, you wouldn't feel rich, probably, without some serious intentional work being done to, to get yourself to think that way. Because in our context, it just wouldn't feel that way, because we tend to compare up. We compare ourselves to those who have more. And what we find then is that this type of, of comparison is a huge barrier to gratitude because it, it causes us to focus on what we don't have instead of on what we do. And you can see this built into our entire culture, right? This is, this is the work of advertisers. The work of advertisers is to convince us that our life is not complete without what they are selling. Um, it's, it's the work of, of many different things in our marketplace, in our culture, to, to convince us that I need something that I don't currently have. And, and, and what we have found is that this, in many ways, if, if we're focused on those things, and if our focus isn't on gratitude toward what we do have, it leaves us in this constant state of, of stress and unease and feeling like something is missing from my life. On the other hand, um, when, when we are grateful for what we do have, uh, the, all of the opposite things are true. We, become, we begin to want the things that we have and, and not the things that we don't. Uh, but again, our, our culture works against us in this way because consumerism in, re, in many ways is, is a killer of gratitude because it keeps us always focused on what we don't have instead of what we do. Uh, we exist in this world of, of want and desire, of, of perceived need of something else that's out there. And I think the, the antidote to that is, is contentment in many ways. And we're going to come back and talk more about contentment next week. Uh, but contentment in many ways, I think, is the antidote to that. And I think the pathway to contentment is true gratitude. Gratitude for what I have and appreciation for the things I have instead of this innate desire for what I don't. Uh, and what we have found, or what, what, what people who have studied this have found, is that uh, gratitude is actually something that, that we can, can practice at and, and get better at. We can train ourselves to be more grateful. It's not just a, a feeling that we have. Um, it's something that we can, we can develop and we can work out, much like we can go to the gym to work out you know, our leg or our arm muscles. We can work out our sense of gratitude, and doing so has a profound impact on almost every aspect of our lives. Uh, that the more that we do this, the, um, the, the, the greater mental health we have, the greater physical health we have, all these different um, attributes can be attributed to, or benefits can be attributed to simply developing more of an attitude and a sense of gratefulness for what we have. Uh, and our tendency to, to compare ourselves or to use comparisons 
can also actually help us in this if we use them in a helpful way. So, for instance, um, if we contemplate the things that we have that are good in our lives, the things that we have that we enjoy, that we appreciate, if we think about those things, but not only think about them, if we think about how our life would be different if we didn't have those things, it has a profound impact on our happiness um, and our sense of well-being. Um, and, and some uh, researchers and psychologists and others have termed this the George Bailey effect uh, from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. And so in one test of the George Bailey effect, they took uh, couples, took married couples, and they had them uh, do some stuff, kind of some gratitude exercises kind of about their spouse and things they appreciated about their spouse. And one of the things they found is that when, when uh, the, the people in these couples, when spouses were told to write things, when, the, when they were told to write about how their life would be different if they didn't have their spouse, it contributed to higher levels of uh, gratitude and happiness than if they were simply told to write about something they appreciated about their spouse. In other words, if, if I can, can think about what I have in my life that I appreciate and think about the value that it adds to my life and how my life would not be the same without that, that thing, that person, that situation, whatever it is, it adds to my appreciation for it and increases my gratitude about having that in my life. Uh, and so there is work that we can do to, to develop this sense of gratitude uh, and to, to become more grateful as people. Uh, this is a book by someone who's done a lot of work in this area. Robert Emmons is his name. Uh, this book is called Thanks. And so I want to read just briefly something that he wrote in this about this idea of, of practicing gratitude and the benefit that it can have for us. Uh, he says, Preliminary findings suggest that those who regularly practice grateful thinking do reap emotional, physical, and interpersonal benefits. Adults who keep gratitude journals on a regular basis, exercise more regularly, report fewer illness symptoms, feel better about their lives as a whole, and are more optimistic about the future. Our groundbreaking research has shown that grateful people experience higher levels of positive emotions, such as joy, enthusiasm, love, happiness, and optimism, and that the practice of gratitude as a discipline protects a person from the destructive impulses of envy, resentment, greed, and bitterness. And that's kind of where I want us to, to kind of focus for the rest of our time this morning is this idea that gratitude is a discipline that, that I can, can develop and that doing that has incredible power in how I view my life and my perspective of the world around me. And so one of the things that I want to invite us to do uh, over the course of this series, I think sometimes time frames are good for, for things like this. Um, so maybe over the course of the series, it's going to be a four-week series, or maybe for the month of November, they're about the same. Uh, I want to encourage you and challenge you to keep a gratitude journal. Uh, this is something I've, I've always heard about the benefits. I've never done it personally myself, honest to say. Um, some... some um, some series I do because I think some of you need to hear them. Um, some series I do because I think I need to hear them. <laughs> that was a joke, mostly. Um, some series I do because I think I need to hear them. Uh, this is one I think all of us need to hear, but it's certainly one that I think I need to hear. Um, we are 
So if, you, if you're kind of familiar with our church, you may know we're, we're, we're an Enneagram church, right? So we, we like the Enneagram. <laughs> we're on our second, I think, 10-week series of that on Wednesday nights. So we like the Enneagram. <laughs> um, before I came here, uh, some of you may have also been exposed to Strength Finders. Anybody familiar with Strength Finders? Strength Finders is another kind of personality assessment type thing. Uh, and so in Strength Finders, my number one strength uh, was restorative. That's what the strength finder said to me, was that your, my number one strength is restorative, which means you can see things that are uh, things that need to be fixed and think through how do we go about fixing this. Uh, the dark side of that, the shadow of that, is that you tend to see everything as something that needs to be fixed. <laughs> right? Everything is broken. Um, and so... I recognize within me personally this discipline of gratitude is something I need to personally grow in as well. So I'm challenging myself in this and challenging us as a group uh, to, to work, to, to try this um, in, in disciplined ways over the next month. Um, maybe that for you means keeping a gratitude journal. Again, this has been shown to have incredible benefits. Just uh, at the end of your day, every day, just sitting down and writing for a few minutes about something you are grateful for in your life or something you're grateful for that happened in your day, that there are tangible benefits to writing about it, not just thinking about it, because writing about it forces you to process it uh, more in depth. It, it involves different parts of your brain uh, and causes you to just think about it on a different level than it would be if you just thought about it kind of briefly in the shower at the end of the day or whatever. To sit down and kind of go through the act of writing it out uh, has a more meaningful and connecting benefit to the different parts of our brain. Uh, so this morning as you leave, I've got on this table out here where we usually have our bulletins, I've got a stack of, of very kind of simple uh, journals it would have been cost prohibitive to, to get anything fancy. But uh, so if, you're, if, if you just want no excuse and you say, that sounds like a great idea, but man, the idea of going to the store and buying a journal is just a little much. They're out there for you in the foyer. Uh, pick one up as you leave. Then all you got to do is find a pen. And I trust you can do that on your own. <laughs> um, there's blank journals out there. Pick one up. Use it. Um, and and let, uh, I want to challenge us to, to, to consider doing this over this month. Uh, to try to develop more keenly this idea of gratitude uh, because of its impact that it can have for us. Uh, because, again, we, we find incredible benefits to this. Uh, but as we begin to close out, I want to return uh, to our parable and then to the monkeys real quick. Because, again, I think that, that Jesus is making a powerful point in this parable about gratitude that's kind of underneath the surface. And that is that part of the idea of gratitude is that it has to be pointed somewhere. And it has to be pointed somewhere other than ourselves. Uh, I can't be grateful for anything, like my, my, my gratitude about things can't be pointed inward. I can be proud of myself. I can be uh, you know, pleased with myself. I can't be grateful towards myself. That would be, I think, I don't, I don't know clinically how you would think about that, but I think of that as that would be like the highest form of narcissism or arrogance, right? <laughs> if I was just grateful about kind of, you know, myself and um, that, you know, shouldn't you all should be grateful of my presence in the world because I'm so great kind of a thing. I don't know. Um, but when we are grateful about something, our gratitude is, is always directed at someone or something else. That we are grateful that some other person or being or force has acted in our good. And so it causes us to see the good in the world around us. It causes us to see that, that there are people who are actively concerned about my good and well-being. 
which is part of what helps us be more optimistic. It actually helps us be more connected to each other relationally because it forces me to, to think there, there is good in the world, there is good in those around me, um, and, and that there are things that are working towards good. Um, but as Christians, it also should continually point us back to God. Uh, James writes in his letter that, that we have in Scripture that every good and perfect gift comes from above. This idea that it continually points us to God, that the things that I, that I have in my life are here because of God and because of God's love for me. Uh, Paul talks about how God's grace is, is a gift that we're given freely, right? It's something that is given to us. And so there's this innate idea then of gratitude built into that, that, man, I'm, I'm grateful for this gift that I have been given in God. And so gratitude helps us not, o- not only just on a kind of basic human level of, of kind of enjoying life more and having more benefits just as a human, but it's incredibly important to the life of a believer and a disciple because of how it grounds us in our connection to God. Uh, so to finish up, back to the monkeys. So they, gave, they started giving this monkey a grape, and they kept giving this monkey a cucumber. And what they found is that the monkey, everyone knows grapes are better than cucumbers, even monkeys, right? <laughs> um, and so after you start doing this, this monkey over here, who was totally fine performing all these tasks earlier where he got a cucumber, now all of a sudden, when his neighbor gets a grape, he's not going to do it for a cucumber anymore. And in every situation, this monkey would refuse now to do the task. And so the task that they did, they, they had to take a rock and then hand it back to the, to the person administering the test. And so this monkey would now do that, give the rock back, and then the, in the, there's a video, you can go search on YouTube for this guy on video, he does a TED talk about it. Uh, but the, uh, the monkey then would take the cucumber, and, and before he would like eat the cucumber. Now he takes the cucumber and chunks it back at the person <laughs> doing the test. So they go and they do the same thing. They give this monkey a grape. They come back to this one. Now this monkey starts rattling the cage, starts shaking things, because life isn't fair, and I'm not getting the same thing that that monkey is getting. And so I, I heard about this guy in a podcast, and, and so the host of this podcast asked him, he said, so does this have a lasting impact on the monkeys after they leave this test? Because they, they exist in community together. They're part of the same colony, so, and they know who each other are. So when they leave here, are they now, is there some resentment build up from this monkey to the other one? Which is a legitimate question, right? And so the guy said, no, because at the end of the test, we give them both as many grapes as they can eat. And so they leave, and they're both fine. They're both happy. There's no resentment. They've both gotten their fill of grapes, and they leave happy. And so this, I think, is the kicker for us as people. Um, there's no endless supply of grapes at all of our frustrating moments. Every situation of unfairness that I meet does not come with a boundless supply of grapes at the end. And this is what makes it incredibly important that I have this attitude built into my life, that I'm grateful for what I have, not focused on what I don't, that, that, I'm, that I think well of the generosity of others and that I see that as a good thing, and that I am incredibly tied to the source of all goodness in my life, and that I remember that God is the source of goodness, of blessing, of gift, and that when these trials come, when these difficulties come, when these times of unfairness that are going to happen in our world come, 
that I don't build up envy and resentment and jealousy because I don't get my plate of grapes at the end, but because I realize that in God I am continually feasting on the grapes of his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy. Uh, so this morning, uh, this morning we are going to share in this feast that God has prepared for us around the table of communion. Uh, this feast of remembering Jesus and who he is for us and to us. Uh, and as we do so, may we do so with gratitude for who God is and who uh, Jesus is in our lives. May, may we remember uh, the good things that we have through him. And then we'll share. With, so we'll sing this song together uh, and then share in our communion meal. So would you stand, please, as we sing and then share in communion together this morning.
as we prepare to share in communion now, we'll pray our prayer of confession together. Um, and I'll pray the parts in white, and then we will pray the parts in yellow together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.